one of the hardest lessons to learn, I think, is hard work works. Yeah. But it's right. Hard work works. It's a really hard lesson to learn because it doesn't, you know, it's like learning a skill. The learning process for this is always the same. It's I suck, I suck, I suck, I suck, I suck. Oh, look, I don't suck anymore, right? <laughs> learning is an unconscious process, right? Like literally that's it's the same for everybody. In fact, uh, my friend Andrew Uberman, who teaches at Stanford and we, we work with his One lab of my favorite. a little bit. Yeah. So yes. Andrew, I don't know, who, we don't know who said this originally, but he likes to point out, he's like, look, the thing that elite performers tend to know that everybody else doesn't is that it's always crawl, walk, run. No matter who you are, it's always crawl, walk, run. And the problem with most people is they come into situations and they're like, dude, I don't crawl. In fact, I don't even want to walk. Let me like figure out where, where's the shortcut so I can start at a jog, right? Like how do I, I'll, I'll, I, I, I'm a jogging kind of guy, right? And that's, so that's a lot of us. And the difference with a lot of peak performers is people, it's funny, they look at top performers and one of the questions that, you know, you hear a lot is, the hell did they get so far so fast? And the answer is really funny. Most of us, when a challenge shows up, we will literally go pretty far out of our way to avoid the challenge or figure out how do I start at a run, basically. And peak performers just go, okay, I'm going to, it's, it's crawl, walk, run. I'm just going to, I'm going to suck. It's going to be, I suck, I suck, I suck, I suck, I suck. Oh, look at, right. That's the experience. And they just don't care. Welcome to Black Belt Beauty Radio, a podcast fueled by a passion to support your journey in developing your most beautiful and optimal performance in life. Each episode is driven with the intention to elevate your mind. When we elevate our mind, we elevate our life. So get ready. It's time to rise. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Black Belt Beauty Radio. This week, you guys, I got nine-time best-selling author, three of which are New York Times bestsellers. He's also an award-winning journalist and founder of the Flow Research Collective, the incredible Stephen Kotler. Stephen is the most respected voice on the subject of flow, flow states, and one of the greatest voices in the arena of peak performance. Obviously, you guys, as someone who loves neuroscience and the optimization of human potential, having Stephen on the show to share his genius was an absolute honor. I loved every minute conversing with him and taking in his incredible insights on the ins and outs of what flow state is and how to achieve this ultimate state of peak performance. His latest book, The Art of Impossible, is legitimately one of my favorite books ever. It's a playbook on the what, the why, and the how to get into flow states. So you really understand mechanism, which is very important. This book lives in my Hall of Famer library, you guys, and I find myself constantly opening it to take in bits of it on the regular. So in this epic conversation, Stephen and I discuss the definition of a flow state and peak performance, who benefits from being in flow states, using challenges to spark motivation and optimal performance, the 10 triggers of flow, emotional set points of flow, how you can use flow states to amplify your results in life, The Art of Impossible, his latest book, and it's a valuable premise, 
the five main intrinsic motivators, and so much more. This conversation is absolutely phenomenal. It is filled with in-depth insight that I cannot put enough emphasis on the importance for all who want to reach peak performance states in their lives. And in my community, that means you. So be sure to follow Steven's Instagram at Steven Kotler for more high quality content and sign up to receive his incredibly valued emails. They are truly some of my most favorite emails to read to inspire my mind before I dive into my work for the day. You can sign up via his website, flowresearchcollective.com, as well as discover more of his work. So the links to all of this are in the show notes for you guys. If you love this episode, like I know you will, please share your valued feedback. Let us know how this episode impacted you on um, Instagram, you know, in the comments, under the post, in DMs, on your stories. I love continuing conversations around every episode with you guys. So please do not be shy and connect with me. So before I hit play, one support request If you've not already given this podcast a five-star rating and review, please do so at the very easy-to-do link that I've put in the show notes for you guys. I want to make this as easy as possible. My team and I appreciate the support so much, as does everybody else who gets to take in the content, because the more that you know, these ratings go up um, and reviews get higher, the more that the uh, podcast is pushed out into the world, so more people can find it. So... Thank you in advance to all of you who will be doing that. And please enjoy this incredible conversation with the incredible Stephen Cutler. You guys, before I hit play on this episode, I got to fill you in on one of my secret weapons that helps me to feel great and perform great in my life. I get asked this question all the time. How do you have so much energy? And the truth is, it's my entire lifestyle. But a major factor that plays into this energy is my morning ritual. That's right. That is my secret weapon. It's how I'm starting my days. How you start your day, you guys, directly impacts how you are going to move throughout your day. So what I wanted to do to really support you to optimize your energy, to help you be very focused and drive yourself in the direction you want to move yourself throughout your day is I created a free downloadable 10 minute kick-ass energy morning ritual. That's right. Cause I know, I know not everybody has a ton of time every morning to designate to a morning practice, but even 10 minutes, 10 minutes at the start of your day will make a major difference. I say it all the time, you guys, inches make the mile. So what do you get in this morning ritual? You get a five minute meditation that you can actually take in at any time of day. It's going to root you, center you, and help you just get very grounded and elevated within yourself. You're also going to get a free downloadable PDF with some action prompts just to help you build the habit of this ritual. So so there's some journal prompts in there. There's a movement prompt in there. There's some intentional nutrition prompts in there just to help you, you know, be very conscious about the way that you're driving your body and your nutrition throughout the day. Both are huge levers in how you're going to feel and perform. Another call to actions. All of this you can receive by entering your email. There's a link in the show notes, but this is also on blackbeltbeauty.com's homepage. I just made it easy for you by putting this link in the show notes. Put in your email and you will immediately get the meditation and PDF sent to you. 
I did this because I want you to feel great and perform great in your life. And honestly, you guys, my morning ritual is truly that. It is a secret weapon. It's how I sharpen my sword and how I strengthen my shield and prepare for battle. Whatever life's going to throw at me or whatever I'm, you know, putting myself in, in terms of being in the arena, you know, seek the fight every day. I know that I'm going to be better capable after I have done this morning ritual. So check it out. Let me know if it serves you. DM me on Roxy Look or Black Belt Beauty's Instagram. I can't wait to hear what you think and what you feel after practicing this morning ritual. Oh man, Stephen, I am so excited. I've waited to have this conversation with you for so long now. So thank you for carving out time. And I'm going to throw us right into this so we can take advantage of every minute that I have with you. Okay. <laughs> right. Let's go. Um, fellow Gemini, by the way. So first I have to say congratulations on this epic book. Um, and thank you for writing it because it's truly, you know, I'm a neuroscience geek. Um, you know, my whole brand is built around optimal performance in life. And I feel like you created a roadmap that really like a playbook that just, you know, really gives you the step-by-step of how to, you know, get into flow states, which we're going to obviously dive into deeply and ultimately really to curate a life uh, where you're creating extraordinary experiences. You know, and to me, this is a life of, of real fulfillment. So um, thank you. Thank you. I just have to start with that before we start diving into. You're welcome. Welcome. That's nice of you to say. <laughs> All right. So, okay. First place, um, if we can start with a broad definition of what a flow state is to set the table of this conversation, I think that would be great. Then we'll move into the the what and the how from neurobiology. Okay, I'll start really high level. Uh, flow, scientists define flow as an optimal state of consciousness where we feel our best and we perform our best. More specifically, it refers to any of those moments of rapt attention, total absorption. We get so focused on what we're doing, so focused on the task at hand, everything else just fades away and seems to disappear. Your sense of self, sense of self-consciousness is going to diminish. Voice in your head is going to get really quiet. Time's going to dilate, which is a fancy way of saying it passes strangely. Most frequently, we just get so sucked into what we're doing that a couple hours go by and we didn't even notice. Sometimes time will slow down or go in the other direction. That freeze frame effect, I mean, then you've been in a car crash. And throughout all aspects of performance, both mental and physical, go through the roof. So that's so epic and so important. And I think another powerful place to really take us into a conversation is uh, who who benefits from flow states? Because, you know, when you talk about peak performance, um, optimal performance, I mean, granted, my audience is certainly dialed into this way of life, uh, you know, going towards essentially like living from your fullest potential, self-actualization, performing at your most optimal level. But um, it could also sound when you say flow states and, and you talk about peak performance, it could seem like this is for maybe an athlete, a competitor. So I would love for you to just kind of break down like who really, who all people benefit from flow states. So the, the I'm going to back up one step and just start with what is peak performance. Let's just start there. Cool. What is peak performance? What do we mean by peak performance? I don't think there's a agreed upon definition, but what I mean by peak performance is nothing more or less than getting our biology to work for us rather than against us. 
at the heart of that, the biological puzzle that is peak performance is the state of flow. It is one of the most well-established facts in psychology is is universal in humans. It's a built-in fact. Come, it, it come. Actually, it's, it's built in for most mammals and all social mammals. Dogs getting to flow, horses getting to flow. Um, so everybody is hardwired for peak performance, and we're all hardwired for flow. Um, the question that psychologists have been poking at for now thirty years is, where does it show up? And uh, what's it good for? And it shows up everywhere. Um, when the Godfather flow psychology, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, sort of did the first giant flow. Flow's been people have been studying flow since the 1870s, but in the 1970s, 60s, and 70s, he got involved. He was the chairman of the University of Chicago Psychology Department. Went around the world talking to anybody anywhere he could about the times in their life when they felt their best and they performed their best. He talked to everybody. He talked to Navajo sheep herders. He talked to elderly Italian grape farmers and Japanese teenage motorcycle gang members and stockbrokers and Detroit assembly line workers and Chicago meatpackers and top neurosurgeons and on and on. Like everybody, rock climbers and dancers and everybody you could possibly imagine. Flow shows up everywhere. And the benefits it conveys are significant. So these numbers come from a bunch of different researchers over a lot of years. So um, if I say we here, I don't mean myself or the Flow Research Collective and the, the neuroscientists and the psychologists I work with, I mean we, the field. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, so motivation, productivity, and grit all skyrocket. Uh, McKinsey did a study they looked at topics of the business consultancy. They looked at top executives in flow. And this was self-reported, so a little grain of salt on how much we trust it. But they went around the world for like 10 years. And on average, they heard 500% more productive in flow. That's a huge amount of productivity. And normally, you should, if you hear a number that big, you should call bullshit almost immediately. But it's in line with all the other data. So the Department of Defense found soldiers in flow will learn 240 to 500% faster than normal. Work we did at the Flow Research Collective that some at Harvard, some at the University of Sydney has looked at creativity and innovation in flow. It'll go up 400 to 700%. We also see cooperation, collaboration, empathy, ecological awareness, which is our ability to see and perceive the natural world. All this is on the cognitive side on the physical side, strength goes up, stamina goes up, endurance goes up, fast twitch muscle response goes up. And the thing you should know is if anybody gives you like a menu like this, and, hey, do this one thing and it's good for all this shit, right? <laughs> like that is normally snake oil. So it's worth <laughs> asking the next question, what the hell? Why does an altered state of consciousness yeah. do all that, right? Like what's the point? And so I said earlier that, that Flow is universal. It's how human beings are designed to perform at their best, right? So that is, it's universal because we're shaped by evolution. So the next question you've got to ask is what shapes evolution, right? And what shapes evolution is scarcity of resources. That's the largest driver. So when resources are scarce, you have two options. You can fight or you can flee, right? You're going to fight over dwindling resources. You're going to flee to avoid becoming somebody else's resources, or you get creative, get cooperative, get innovative, and you make new resources, right? Go exploring. Those are your options. Those are the only options. That's exactly what flow amplifies. It amplifies every single thing we need to fight or to flee or get creative, get cooperative, get exploratory and make new resources. So that's how you can look at it in a kind of 
collective way. And like, really, when I say it's good for everybody, it's good. I mean, the studies are coders in flow, architects in flow, musicians in flow, athletes in flow, you know, on and on and on and on. So it shows up everywhere. It's really good for everyone. Yeah, it's so powerful. And I, oh, and I yeah, feel actually, that, I there's mean, one other thing. <laughs> I probably failed to mention the most important thing that flows, but <laughs> hold on one second, Roxanne. I'm sorry. Okay, um, no. This is the most, this is one of those well-established findings also. Um, flow up. If you're interested, not just happiness, how do I feel right here, right now, but the, the real shit, overall life satisfaction, well-being, purpose, meaning, flow underpins all of that. It amplifies all of it. In fact, uh, there are three levels of happiness that are now known to be available to all human beings, right? And the two upper tiers have flow baked into the definition scientifically. So flow on, is the best we get to feel on the planet, underpins those feelings. And to put it really simply, when they do studies of people who score like off the charts for overall well-being, they're always the people with the most flow in their lives. So um, in fact, recent work, there was a study that came out of China. And I think there was another study here in America, the people who have, are flourishing the most now post COVID who languished the least during the pandemic were also the people with the most flow in their lives during the pandemic. So the yeah, people, it and, and they, it was a big study. They were like, is it going to be the people who are the most optimistic or the people who are the most financially well off or who got the mm-hmm. most hugs or, you know what I mean? It was the most flow was the single you know, greatest correlate with I'm kicking ass now. Well, fuck. Yeah. I feel that. I mean, and probably a good place to insert this too. I mean, throughout the book, I felt like you were talking to me. There were so many moments and we'll dive into them specifically where I was like, you're, you're fucking pointing out me and my life and my process right now. Um, but I, you know, that makes sense to me because, you know, I am someone who is very, uh, <laughs> um, comfortable with discomfort, you know, on, on many different levels from years of being a freelance artist to being a, you know, jujitsu practitioner, martial artist, like you're, you know, 200 pound guy on top of me, like learn how to get out be, be, you know, Zen in that moment. So, you know, when, when COVID happened and everything unfolded the way it did, I mean, uh, you know, I'm ready. Like I stay ready. So that's just one kind of insert where, you know, that, that makes sense to me, but what I wanted to say before that, and it was perfect because it goes hand in hand with what you were just saying is, um, you know, you talked about happiness and it really, you know, flow people that are living with more flow, are feeling more overall fulfillment in their life. And that's, that's what, that's how I see this. You know, when you are, um, you, when you are experiencing these moments of flow states, these feelings of, um, you know, just really, we'll dive into the science obviously, but I'm just going to speak from my tongue about it, but just where you are just like, up here with yourself in here with yourself and you're moving into your action. Like I could just give an example of when I'm, when I'm running a 10 K in deep sand and it hurts, but somehow I feel a separation from the pain. And I'm, I'm so like in another world that feels so good. And, you know, ideas are coming to me and I'm just, I don't know. I, I, I'll get us into a rabbit hole. I got to be careful right now, but all of this was just to say that, um, it really makes so much sense to me. And I really do see, you know, this idea of, of individuals or rather facts of, of people who are experiencing more flow in their life, being happier people, whatever that means for you. You could be a mother, stay at home mom. You could be top level executive, whatever it is. Um, I, I, that makes sense to me. So 
I think I want to, I want to, you said something that was, you've said several things that I've noted on and I have to regurgitate that so I don't mess up. Um, you said psychology is metaphors, neuroscience is mechanism. And I fucking love that. And I think that that's a great entry into talking about flow and peak performance from a neurobiological perspective. So like what's happening in the brain. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this was sort of one of the great sort of hard lessons that the whole field of flow research learned the hard way, which is we, the, the psychology of flow, like we know the state has six core characteristics. We can measure it. We can do it. Like there's a lot of robust psychology uh, that was worked out by the by the 90s and the early 2000s, and people tried to use that to train athletes, to train other people in flow, and eh, eh, like not so much. <laughs> no, it didn't work so well. Sometimes it would work, but, but like, yeah, not so much. And uh, what happened over the past 10 to 15 years is because the difference between psychology, as you pointed out, that I pointed out, is metaphor and neurobiology is mechanism. Your interest is reliable and repeatable. You want mechanism. And over the past 20 years, neuroscience has been going gangbusters and flow science has been going gangbusters. And we've got a pretty good handle on mechanism. I mean, there's like still holes in the research you could drive a bus through, but it's, you know, it's, we know way more than enough to be dangerous. And I'll give you the, the easiest example is my organization, the Flow Research Collective. So, um, we're a research and training organization, but on the training side, we we work with everybody, professional athletes, U.S. Special Forces, but we also work with like executives at, at most of the companies you can think of, from like Audi to Accenture, and then we work with just the general public. So like insurance brokers in London and, you know, coders in Delhi and soccer moms in Indiana, and we train about a thousand people a month, and we use the exact same psychological measurement instrument for flow that they used back in the nineties. And we see on average a 70 to 80% boost in flow. And it's not that our Kung Fu is so badass. It is, but it's really <laughs> that neuroscience is our Kung Fu, right? Like yes. it's everybody. And, and the, so here's the, put it, here's the problem in peak performance. And I say this in the book too, which is, um, the problem in a lot of coaching, a lot of the problem in a lot of peak performance, people figure out what works for them and then they teach it to other people and it doesn't work at all. And the reason it doesn't work is I always say personality uh, doesn't scale, biology scales. The problem is there are really core things with how you would approach training peak performance. What is your tolerance for risk? Where are you on the introversion to extroversion scale, et cetera? These things are genetically determined or sort of hardwired by early childhood experience. And they're different in every, everybody's personality is different. All this stuff is different. That's why what works for me, unless you have my exact risk tolerances, my exact sort of grip back, right? Not going to work for you. I've got really extreme uh, risk tolerances and I'm really gritty. And if you try to like dump that on, on, on somebody who's not, they get crushed. It doesn't work at all. My shit doesn't work at all. It's a disaster. Totally. And like when, back when I was, you know, I put friends in the hospital trying to make their lives better. You know what I mean? Like I'm a fucking disaster on that front. I learned this the hard way. Um, but biology, when you take it down to evolution and 
we know flow states have triggers, preconditions that lead to more flow. We know how they work neurobiologically and they work the same in everybody. So that, you know, it, if you start with the neurobiology, it tends to be more reliable and more repeatable and sustainable over time. Yeah. It's That's more the of the sure, safe route. No. And I love that, you know, cause I think about that. I feel that so hard. I'm a self-mastery empowerment coach and, you know, I, I have my wisdom and my ways, but I, that was one of the things too, besides just being a very curious woman, um, who's just really always been passionate about learning about more about, you know, human potential. I love psychology. I love philosophy. Um, but I had to really start thinking about like, what the fuck is going on in the brain? Right. Like for me to really understand what is happening, you know, from a, like a top down um, outside in bottom up perspective, because I feel like it gives more tools that are not only going to be useful for me, more empowering, but then also, you know, for, for the individuals that I coach. So um, I love that you lay that out and it, it, I feel that that is absolutely so true. Personality doesn't scale. That's badass the way you put it. Um, you, you said, um, I'm going to be quoting you a lot. So please just be prepared. Your emotions don't, don't, your emotions don't mean what you think they mean. And then this is a quote from your book. Optimal performance begins in maximum frustration. That was fucking awesome. And I feel like that is a great entry into talking about flow triggers, because I know that that's a big piece of the conversation too. And I know that there are several flow triggers, but I'm wondering if you can kind of lay out um, maybe some of the more common ones that people could be prepared to experience as they're getting into a flow state. For sure. Um, so flow follows focus. The state shows up when all of our attention is on the right here, right now. As I said a second ago, that's what all the triggers do. They drive attention into the present moment. They do this, they work one of three ways. They'll either push dopamine into our system or norepinephrine into our system. These are both uh, performance-enhancing, feel-good neurochemicals. Um, in fact, the cocktail we call romantic love, that's dopamine and norepinephrine, like turned up to 11. That's dopamine and norepinephrine is passion. Literally, it's the recipe for the neurobiological recipe for passion. But if you think about, you know, what passion feels like, right? Think about romantic love, how much attention you paid to the person you're falling in love with, right? You can't stop focusing on them, right? So that's what these triggers do. They drive attention like that, or the triggers can lower cognitive load. Cognitive load is all the crap you're trying to think about any, any one time. So I lower cognitive load, I liberate a bunch of energy that your brain will then repurpose to pay attention to whatever's in front of you. And sometimes the triggers do one of these three things. Sometimes it's two or three, sometimes it's all three. Um, and some of them are remarkably like they're, they're obvious. I, would, I, I, before we get into them, I always have to copy. This is the, the warning when, when I start talking about this <laughs> stuff is um, none of this shit is sexy. It's not sexy. Like it, if you do my stuff, if you talk about it in a bar on Friday night, it will not get you laid. If you want to get laid, go the like biohacker route, right? Like <laughs> do your ice baths and your injections and whatever, like all that. That's great. It's cool. You talk about it on the bar. It's sexy. Somebody's going home with you. This shit, they're going to look at you and be like, what? You're doing, oh, that's yeah, really, uh-huh. All right, next. Right? Um, oh yeah, so I always, like important caveat that, that comes with this, but so 
let's just start with the most obvious, which is flow follows focus. We need uninterrupted concentration for flow. So what's the first flow trigger? Uninterrupted concentration. Now, what does that actually mean? So it's interesting. If you want to maximize flow in your life, what we tell people is try to start your work day. Now, some people, you want to work in accordance with your biological rhythms, skidium rhythms. Some of us, I'm an extreme lark. I'm up at 3.30 in the morning and I'm wide awake and I can, like, I think great. My wife is a night owl. She doesn't wake up to four o'clock in the afternoon. Her brain is not firing till 8 p.m., right? Most of us are in the middle, but like me and my wife are at the extremes. Big surprise. (laughs) Um, But uh, you want to try to work in accordance with your biology because it's hard to fight your biology, right? So like you're maximum awake at this time. If you can start your work session, then do. We tell people if you can, block out 90 minutes for uninterrupted concentration. Now, if you don't have 90 minutes, start with 10, start with 20, start with 30. The point is, um, and this is obviously you're going to do more than just uninterrupted concentration, but flow massively amplifies productivity. So people often say, I don't have 90 minutes, but wait a minute, you have no idea how much time you're going to get back. So yes, you do. The other reason 90 minutes matters is everybody knows we have 90 minute REM cycles. We know this. We dream for 90 to about 110 minutes, right? Depending on, you know, uh, actually depending on where our moods more than anything else. Um, But uh, we have a focus cycle that's roughly the same. It's 90 minutes long. So the brain sort of has a slot that says you can pay attention for this long. So if you can work up to 90 minutes, it's great. And don't fight we can't fight our biology. So practice distraction management ahead of time. Turn off the phone, turn off the text, turn off the alerts, turn off email, turn off social media and have your conversations. This is the most important thing. You got to, if you have really little kids at home, you're kind of screwed, but everybody else, talk to your spouse, talk to your boss, talk to your kids and say, look, you want my attention. Great. You can have more of me later because you'll get time back but you need this time now. And that's where I always start people. Now you talked earlier about being uncomfortable to get flow requires being uncomfortable, being uncomfortable, getting comfortable, being uncomfortable. So let's talk about why that comes from. Now you've got your 90 minute block of uninterrupted concentration. Cool. That's great. You practice a little distraction management. You know, you're going to, what you're going to attend to is your hardest task, biggest win for the day. The thing that if you get it done, right, you get the most fire. Now getting it done, that win is going to give you more dopamine. So that dope, you want that done because you get more dopamine, more momentum going on, more motivation later on. Anyways, um, how to attack that challenge is the next question. And here's where flow's most important trigger. And like if you thought complete concentration wasn't going to get you laid on a Friday night, wait till you hear the most important one, which is known as the challenge skills balance. And it's a really simple idea. We pay the most attention to the task at hand when the challenge of the task slightly exceeds our skill set. So you'll want to stretch, but not snap. If I were to put it emotionally, I would say this, this is not on, but pretty near the midpoint between boredom, not enough stimulation here, I, can't, I don't care, I'm not paying any attention, and anxiety, which is, whoa, way too much stimulation. But it's, it, what's tricky about this sweet spot, metaphorically, uh, people often talk, use the number 4% to describe the, this balance, meaning we pay the most attention to the task at hand when the challenge of the task is about 4% harder than the skills we bring to it. That's a metaphor. We've been trying to test that number for a while and it's always in that vicinity, but we, it's useful. It's useful um, 
for the following reason. If you're shyer, if you're timid, if you're a little meeker, this is why you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. 4% is outside your comfort zone. You're going to be using your skills to the utmost. You're going to be pushing hard on that. And I'll give you an example in a second. Um, but for really hard chargers, for type A types, for yourself, the problem with this 4% number is it's too small. You're going to take on challenges. I do it too, that are 10% greater, 20% greater, 30% greater, because it's motivating the thrill of it, right? You pay it down. And I'm not saying that's bad, but like, yeah, that's, I, I know. The point is, and you want those challenges. So, motivation science tells us that a properly set high hard goal, which is what that is, right, um, <clears throat> will give us an 11 to 25% boost in motivation simply for setting the goal. So we want those. That's a huge boost of motivation for free for setting these hard goals. But you just got to make sure that what you're doing today with your 90-minute concentration block, you're only chunk down the problem. So it may be a 50% greater than where you are, but what you're doing today, it's only like 4 or 5%. And the big deal, so I'll give you the big deal, for example, with athletes who stay in the zone is you don't plateau keep learning that's the big deal right everybody knows if you've ever if you've ever if you do any seasonal sport i'm a big skier or a big mm -hmm. surfer whatever where right? those tend to be seasonal sports you usually at the beginning of the season you get a bunch of flow then you tend to plateau and then more shows up at the end of the season that's really common um in a lot of sports uh and there's a bunch of reasons why but one of the reasons is usually by like mid-season 10, 15 days in, you started to put so much pressure on yourself to be better and better and better that you're so far out of that sweet spot that you're screwing yourself and denying yourself of like literally the very state of consciousness you need to kind of push your game forward. So those are a couple of the triggers. We can, you know, go on from there. Novelty is a flow trigger. Uh, risk is a flow trigger. I, would, that's, I love that. Yeah. Physical risk, that. But it's also social risk or emotional yes. risk or intellectual risk, right? All of these yeah. things <laughs> are, are flow triggers as well. Um, so, you know, I'm not just speaking to the athletes here. Um, so there's more. And then there's, we've been talking about individual flow, you in a flow state or me in a flow state. There's also group flow, which is a shared collective version of flow state, right? This is a team performing at best. And this could be, comes in flavors. There's interpersonal flow, me and you lost in a conversation, hours are going by, we're not even noticing, right? Or this could be a team performing at the best. This could be a fourth quarter comeback in basketball or football, mm -hmm. or it could be a great brainstorming session at work where ideas are just flying off the wall. Or you can actually take it the next scale up, which is communitas. This is group flow at scale. This is what happens at a rock concert where everybody merges with the band and is one with the music and right or what happens at political rallies and um so that's communitas so group flow can be at every scale and there's 10 triggers that are known to cause group flow now there's probably these are the 22 we've discovered so far there are way more we just haven't found them and we the field of flow researchers maybe <laughs> It's so good. See, you're we talking definitely and literally... found them, but like all, everybody hasn't found them yet at this point. I mean, there's a lot there though. And obviously I'm smiling and laughing because I'm like, oh my gosh, you're speaking to my soul right now. You know, that bigger risk or, you know, when you like going for the bigger challenge in my mind, I'm thinking about the greater risk that comes with that and how that is so motivating. And it does really, you know, I, I can speak, it just, it puts me in a high focus state. Um, 
to attack. And then, you know, a couple, I grew up in the post. You, you got to understand. I love Like I am every 70 people work for me and every meeting we have, I end with, are we going big enough? Like that's how I end every meeting. Right. Are we, are you sure? Are we, and I just want to check. Like, is there a way, right? It, it's not that we need to go bigger. Sometimes small is the better idea, but I just want to sure. check because people don't think that way. And, right. um, and, and I think it's, you know, I, the companies that Google with their moonshot, you know what I mean? Like the people yeah. who do, there are advantages. There are a lot of advantages to it. So even if I don't go that big, I always want to consider the perspective of going that big. I love that. Ladies, I am so excited to let you know that Queendom, Black Belt Beauty's exclusive membership community for women only, has officially opened her doors and is welcoming new members. Queendom is an exclusive community of high-minded, empowering, supportive, badass women who are all on a mission to live from their fullest potential in life. This empowered space is monitored by me personally to ensure that it is non-toxic, non-competing, and an inspiring, energetic environment. What this membership includes is one monthly live Zoom call with me, where I take you on a deep dive and a specific focus for the month. So think topics like self-love, self-confidence, and vitality. These topics are vital to living from your fullest potential in life. So these talks are going to support you to get more clarity on them and help you to develop and strengthen your relationship with them in your life. You get one monthly challenge that is specific to the focus for the month for stronger development and progress in that area. You get a monthly workbook with a summary of that topic and journal prompts around the subject. You get a variety of intentional meditations that I create to help you get rooted in specific areas of yourself and your life. You get exclusive Black Boat Beauty Radio podcast guest content for Queendom members only. And ladies, I love to have fun, so you can expect to have a lot of it in Queendom. There will be several pop-up virtual events, including more live coaching sessions with me, beauty sessions, training sessions, cooking hangs, master classes and Q&As, all with high-level guest experts. You also get my VIP high performance vault. So think my top tools that I rely on to feel my best, to look my best and to perform my best in life. Above all, you get community and accountability support from the incredible members of Queendom who are on aligned missions to live from their fullest potential in life. You know, one of my favorite quotes that sums up my aim with Queendom is this one by Reid Hoffman. No matter how brilliant your mind or strategy, if you're playing a solo game, you will always lose out to a team. You guys, I want you all to be winning in your life from within and out. And I'm a firm believer that teamwork truly does make the dream work. So I've designed Queendom to be exactly that, a team of women who are supporting the best in each other to actualize their dreams into life. So the cost for all of this is just $40 a month. And that price is exclusive to this period of enrollment only. For those who purchase a full year of membership upfront, you get one month of membership for free. Investing in this membership is investing in yourself. So if you're ready to join Queendom, go to blackbeltbeauty.com to sign up or click the link in the show notes. Ladies, let's seek the fight together in 2021 as a badass 
team of empowered queens. Membership has its privileges. I can't wait to see you and support you in the queendom. I am someone who really believes that this is a perspective that creates fulfillment in life. It, it, for sure, you're going to you're going to be put on your fucking knees. You're going to get punched in the face, maybe not literally unless you're an MMA fighter, but like you're going to sweat, you're going to feel pain. But the reward that comes with that, I mean, I heard you say, um, you know, kind of going back to the happiness piece for a minute that, uh, you know, people that have more uh, experience, more flow states in their life have overall more overall happiness. But in their day to day life, more life set is they have. So this is worth clarifying, actually. So it's okay. interesting because it dovetails off a lot of what you're saying. You don't actually have more happiness with flow. Happiness is how do you feel right here, right now? And the thing is, if you're living a high flow lifestyle, you're pushing on your skills to the utmost all the freaking time, right? I always say that like when I'm skiing and I'm in flow going down the mountain, it's amazing. On the chairlift, going back up to the top, I'm ready to cry because there's so much lactic acid in my muscles. I'm dying, right? That little bit where I pop a little bit out of flow, Or, you know, go sit in the corner between the rounds, right? You don't feel good. You're you're in flow when you're fighting. In the corner, you think you're going to die. And you're like, what the fuck? Why do I do this? (laughs) Right? Like, what? This is a retarded. But, um, yeah. So, uh, moment by moment, (laughs) happiness um, doesn't go up or down that much. But what starts to go up is... So, when I say that the two... was positive psychologists look at happiness, they say, look... There's happiness. There's moment by moment. How do you feel right here, right now? And Dan Harris wasn't wrong. There's like 10% of wiggle. You can be 10% happier. Daily gratitude practices, daily mindfulness practices, regular exercise, eat right, get plenty of sleep, like have regular social support. You'll be 10% happier for sure. Um, It's maybe a little bit more, but that's pretty much, you can't get that much happier because of something known as emotional set points. These, this is the boundary of emotional experience. They're locked up by the time we're 10 or 11. This is the worst you're going to feel on the planet. This is the best. Life takes place in between. You can go down. Death of a child or chronic unemployment will knock you down. The only way to go up is regular access to flow over long periods of time. And the upper two tiers of happiness, the second one is the high flow lifestyle. And as you pointed out, maybe... This is like your job produces a lot of flow. I'm a writer. It's a very flowy job, right? Um, But this is also, I live in Tahoe. I know, you know, hundreds of people who they work construction all summer so they could ski all winter because that's their, right? That's a high flow lifestyle. And that's, so it's a level of contentment and fulfillment. It's better than just the happiness. And the best you get to feel is um, purpose, which is where one of the things that are producing a tremendous amount of flow is coupled to a cause that is greater than yourself, that makes the planet a better place, that helps other people, that helps plants, animals, things, you know, beyond you. And um, by the way, you're nodding because everybody nods because it sounds so selfless and nice. And it's not, it's not what this about at all, right? It's literally, you get a bunch of feel-good neurochemistry from passion to make passion and a purpose, you couple it to a cause greater than yourself. 
Why is this a big deal? Because then you get the pro-social neurochemicals, endorphins and serotonin and oxytocin. You can't get those solo. You've got to involve other people, but you're just feeding yourself more addictive neurochemistry in the name of purpose and altruism. And look at me. I just, oh, the whole virtue yeah. signaling movement makes me crazy. I fuck, you know, no, that's, I, I fucking love it. I actually, so built into my brand and something I'm always talking about is um, living a life of passion, purpose, and vision. I'm smiling because you talk, I've listened to you talk about purpose so much and I don't necessarily see it so altruistic either. I mean, I'm, I'm benefiting from living my purpose. It's not just, that's, yeah, they, they, you know what I'm saying? Point. It's always yeah, my point. Exactly. Like, no. Yeah. And the other but, thing but I just here, have to say, I just yeah, have to please. say, People got to stop leading with their purpose. I don't want to walk into a meeting and hear that what your name is and what your purpose is. Because when you tell me what your purpose is, I just think you're lying. Because if you were really living on purpose, I would know and you wouldn't have to tell me. Like, I would know. I, like, I, I'm, I, I would know. I'm a journalist also. Like, I do my research. If you're like, if you're doing shit in the world, I'm going to know before I went into the meeting. If you tell me, hi, I'm... John, and I'm here to save the whales. The only thing I know for sure, John, you're lying. You're not here to save the whales. You're not like you're like if you were here to save the whales, you'd be saving the fucking whales. I knew the whale. I, I wouldn't have to have to hear you tell me this. Like, come on. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, I mean, it's like <laughs> maybe this isn't like every maybe Gen Z feels differently. Maybe old millennials feel Z. But if you're Gen X and somebody walks in and says this, we just think you're lying. You were like, uh uh-uh, uh, uh uh. Like, no, it's so, I feel that. Listen, I'm 43. I'm fucking, I, the thing is, is because when you, when you are, you just are, you know, you're, you live it, you do it, you breathe it. It's not like you went and you had to learn it. It's just, it's, it's who you be. And uh, I, so, you, by the way, like the way that you're making me laugh, there are so many points in this fucking incredible book where I was cracking up because you're writing i just have to i had to say thank that you. to you personally i try like, so i like good. i like make i like making people laugh it's, oh, it's way, so i like good. making people laugh so much that i have to like i now warn people in meetings that like 50 percent of everything i say is just i'm just trying to make you laugh like i <laughs> i can't actually be any more serious than that well here's the thing i believe that and, and i don't know if i can speak this is an actual fact, but I really believe that we retain more information when we have an emotional experience. Right. It's I mean, true. I think that's, a I'm just fact. massively insecure and I need you to like me, but um, <laughs> it's good for your learning as well. Listen, there is a point and it'll throw us in a fucking rabbit hole, but you were talking about Nietzsche and you're like, you know, before him, it was like, contact the muses, like to get the answers. I was well, dying. But it's <laughs> true. I mean, Nietzsche was the first person who was like, wait a minute, God doesn't control peak performance. Like maybe we should start looking at, look, but you, but you have to remember that Nietzsche was the first person to show up after Darwin. So Darwin was like, Hey, wait a minute, the human body evolves. And he said, Hey, wait a minute. The human body evolves. The human mind evolves. Consciousness evolves. And we have to take all that into account. If you're interested in peak performance, a peak performance philosopher, a lot of philosophers were from the, like the early Greeks, the Stoics on, how do you, how do you live a high quality life? Nietzsche just continued that tradition, but he was the first person to put biology into the equation. And, you know, he thought, you know, he, he thought science was the way to go. We were going to decode peak performance. And it, it was true. Like before Nietzsche, you wanted to write a great sonnet. You prayed to the muses, right? 
You want to kick ass in the ring? You're praying to Mars or Aries. You know, I mean, like, it's like, it's so good. I can hear your voice when I'm reading it. And it's so fucking good. It is so true. And I love that. I mean, oh, man, what I would do to have, you know, a conversation with Nietzsche, because, yeah, what 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 an incredible human. Um, Yeah, I love that so much. I. Uh, I would love to talk about intrinsic motivation. You know, there's, there's a stack. Wait, there is something that I, I literally have to quote. So um, you have a five stack of intrin- intrinsic motivations that keep intrinsic motivations that keep you armed and dangerous. I love that. Um, and I think that's so important to talk about. You know, I, as you get into this, I just want to point out <laughs> When you're talking about autonomy into mastery, this is another point where I'm like, you're speaking to me right now. <laughs> What's that? So the, yeah. the thing is, as you pointed out, peak performance is hard, right? You got to push in your challenge skills balance all the time, right? Not easy. And if you are trying to use grit as your fuel, you are fucked. Like it, you, it, it's nobody's that tough. Like that's the recipe for burnout, right? That's why you quit. You cannot... Fuel yourself on grit. And what the research shows is, you know, motivation is this puzzle. And when, by the way, when psychologists say motivation, it's a catch-all term. It means extrinsic motivation, right? Stuff in the real world will work hard to get intrinsic motivation, which we'll talk about in a second. They also mean grit and goal setting. So it's a stack of practices. We're talking specifically about intrinsic motivation, internal drivers. And there are hundreds of internal drivers right? Spite is an internal motivator. It's just not one of the big five. And I love spite as a motivator. I'm a big fan. Small S spite, capital S spite, you got problems, but small S spite, I like, love proving people wrong. It's fun. So yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm a fan of some of these other ones too, but uh, if you really are interested in stacking up motivation, just in the way, like you're an athlete, you want a, you want carbs, you want protein, you want fat, you want a good night's sleep, you want all possible fuel sources, right, before you compete. Same thing with intrinsic motivation. You want all possible intrinsic motivators sort of pointed in the same direction so you can have the most motivation. The big five intrinsic motivation are curiosity, passion, purpose, autonomy, and mastery. Now, one of the things that's important here is these are sort of designed to work. It's all designed to work in a system in a specific order. It's not that you have to do it this order, but if you can, you tend to go farther, faster, with less fuss. Curiosity is the most basic human motivator. And curiosity, if you can figure out, and people, again, like curiosity is really like, what I mean by curiosity is, Hey, if you had a free weekend, you would want to read a book about this subject, maybe see a movie or talk to a couple of experts. You're curious, right? You'd spend a weekend on it. That's all I mean. That's a motivator, right? You get a lot of focus for free. If you think about stuff you're curious about, you're not burning all this energy to pay attention. It happens automatically. Big deal. The reason it's a big deal, brain's an energy hog. It uses 25% of your body's energy at rest. So one quarter of everything to eat, you eat, goes to fuel your brain. It's a tiny percent of your mass, right? It's very expensive to run. And a lot of that energy goes to focus and attention. Think about how hard it is to pay attention to something that doesn't totally interest you, right? You're burning a lot of calories. You're tiring yourself out. You have limited energy. So anything that gives you focus for free, big deal. 
Intrinsic motivators give you focus for free. Curiosity gives you focus for free. If you can find the intersection of multiple curiosities, that is how you create the foundation of passion, right? One curiosity is cool. It's some motivation, but not over the long haul, right? To sustain you over the long haul, you need to look for places where three or four or five of your curiosities start to really intersect. Now you're really cooking. That's passion. Once you have passion, Purpose is that passion coupled to a cause greater than yourself, right? Figure out a way for the thing that you're most passionate about to help somebody outside yourself. You've now got purpose. Once you have purpose, what does the system want? The freedom to pursue that purpose. And you have to have autonomy, right? What good is purpose without autonomy? And um, you also have to have autonomy for attention because autonomy and attention are coupled systems. We sort of know this, right? If you're not driving the bus, it's really sort of hard to care about where it's going, right? We care about where the bus is going a whole lot more when we get to drive, right? Yeah. Um, and once you have autonomy, the freedom to pursue your passion or your purpose, you have you want mastery. The skills to pursue it well, right? Like those are the big five motivators. There, if you can get them all stacked up and pointed in the same direction, you go farther faster. Good news also, they all do double duty as flow triggers. So mm. all those things drive our attention to the present moment. They, a lot of them drive norepinephrine and dopamine into our system. They drive attention to the present moment. So the result of getting all those motivators stacked up is not only a bunch more motivation, but you also get a bunch more flow and flow itself amplifies motivation even more. And it ends up being this virtual circle, virtuous circle. And the final thing I want to say on this um, that's sort of worth pointing out is I always say that human beings are designed to go big. Um, we're built for it. We're literally hardwired for it. But there's a flip side to this, which is not going too bad for us. And what I mean by that is I've just laid out the five big intrinsic motivators, right? And wow, you can get farther faster if you've got them all stacked up and you're utilizing them. If you don't, if you're trying to ignore them, you have problems. And what I mean by problems is anxiety and depression are epidemic levels right now. Um, largest drain on public health coffers. One out of 10 adults is going to need uh, medicine or treatment for anxiety and depression this year. And we suck at treating it. Somebody kills themselves once every 12 seconds. Like we're bad at it. And um, it's, a, it's a public health disaster. There are eight known causes of anxiety and depression. There are two that get the most attention. Trauma, something terrible happened to me and I can't get over it. And genetics, I have the wrong DNA and I can't make enough serotonin and I can't be happy. And uh, to put it bluntly, bullshit. <laughs> On both of those, this data just doesn't back it up. What the data shows is that genetics is only ever half the equation. It's always genetics plus how your early childhood experience and how you're living your life today. And then trauma, and you know this, most of the time, trauma doesn't lead to post-traumatic stress disorder. Trauma leads to, oh, I got my ass kicked. I picked myself up. And now I'm stronger and better than I was before. And that's right. It leads to post-traumatic growth, right. not post-traumatic stress disorder, right? That's most of the time. Now there are exceptions and yeah. you know, those are horrific exceptions and don't get me wrong, but it's a general rule. But what is, what are the other six major causes of anxiety and depression? Number one is lack of meaningful work. 
What does that mean? It means that work that I'm not curious about, that I'm not passionate about, that isn't aligned with my purpose, that I don't have the autonomy to pursue in the way I want and doesn't afford me the opportunity for mastery. And by the way, it doesn't produce flow. Number two, lack of meaningful values. What does that mean? I don't have purpose. I don't, I'm not getting flow doing it, following my purpose, right? Like and we can go on through the rest of them. We are built to go big. We are built to use the, these tools, not going big, not using the system the way it was designed to use is really bad for us. I think that is so, so powerful and badass and so important and impactful to share because I, I firmly believe that as someone who is living the opposite of that, who is living with so much passion. And, you know, when I talk about like my, by the way, I've been writing for the majority of my life, right? Like journaling primarily, but writing all the same. And um, I'm a creator, you know, I am, you know, so when we think about like the autonomy to mastery, um, you know, oftentimes when you're building a business from grassroots, you're facilitating a lot, right? Then there's like the scaling moves, right? The creation part, like me to sit down and like write the book or, you know, prepare for the podcast, whatever it is. Uh, But if you are, you know, in the position where you're facilitating a lot, because that's just how a lot of businesses start, you know, I feel like that you, like you pointed out autonomy and attention. Um, It's just that struggle of like, I want to, I want to own more of my attention so that I can get into more of the mastery piece. So I just had to insert that, but the, the piece about the trauma and, and also just, you know, everything you just left us with, 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 you know, not living a life where you are feeling, feeling fulfillment in what you're doing. Um, I think that that is, it's, it's insidious and it is dangerous. Well, it's, yeah. I mean, the other thing is we, so we, there's a peak performance aging, which is an emerging serious field. There's pretty good evidence that basically says if you can't sort of figure out how to get paid in a way that's aligned with passion and purpose a little bit or curiosity by the time you're in your 40s you have real problems later in life like it's really hard to find overall fulfillment and well-being there are health consequences like it's uh, it's not we're really built not not to do this we're we're sort of not not built to live without passion and purpose yeah no it's it's so powerful i mean every day no matter what challenge i'm facing or conquering and i mean i appreciate challenge for me is opportunity like i literally see challenges opportunity i go to bed every night with gratitude for my fucking life like i'm living it like with all of my fucking self so if it all ended right now like it's here on record like this woman has lived a very happy life you know if i had a fear it's not a failure it's of not having enough time to fully express my potential um you know, in this life. Um, so every day, you know, that's, that's driving me to just to get up and to do the damn thing with everything I got and, and see it, you know, see it, uh, see it through. So, um, yeah, that was, that was really important, uh, to share. So thank you for breaking that down. So I'm being mindful of your time. Um, I do want to talk about, I want to talk about goals, but there's also a really important piece that I personally value, um, you know, the lifestyle piece, because you point that out in the book. So again, like a playbook, right? Like there, your biology obviously is so important. So what are we talking about? We're talking about like, you know, nutrition, sleep, recovery, play in my own life. I kind of have this flow of yin, yang, yin, right? So, um, you said this in the book. It was so dope. You you talked about non-time, a pitch blackness that belongs to no one. 
Okay. That's like, I'm a logophile. So you're like fucking with my heart right there. I'm like a pitch blackness that belongs to no one. I love that because I light a candle. I sit there. I I'm in that pitch black in the morning, you know, reading the books, meditating, journaling. Um, and this is like where I get to be very, it's, it's like a form of recovery, but also priming to get into the yang, into the fire, into the fucking get after it. Um, big setup to ask you, what are some of the most important elements of this sort of lifestyle that's going to give an individual the opportunity to experience more flow state peak performance? It's interesting. I mean, the art of impossible, as as, as you said sort of in the beginning, is a blueprint, right? And um, it it looks at all the major kind of components of, of peak performance, and it's a limited set, right? We're talking about motive, motivation component. There's a flow component. There's also a learning element and a creativity component. The way I always talk about these four things together is in any challenge situation, right? Motivation gets you into the game. Learning allows you to continue to play creativity especially if you're going after kind of harder impossible goals where you're not quite sure where they are right it's how you steer and flow is how you amplify the results so that's and that's the full suite of cognitive performance um and if you there's a whole bunch of onboarding processes right there's ways to turn curiosity into passion and passion into purpose and like that's a specific thing it takes a, a period of time but once you get through all the onboarding practices really get sort of to the end of the art impossible at the very end of the book peak performance is roughly six things to do every day and seven things to do every week and it's this, that's what the biology demands. They're roughly the same things for everybody. We talked about one of them already, 90 minutes front interrupted concentration. That's a daily practice. You get to spend that 90 minutes on whatever you want, but like, if you're serious about peak performance, that's going to be a chunk of it. Some of the things, a daily gratitude practice or a mindfulness, you have to tune up your nervous system, right? Yeah. So gratitude, mindfulness, or exercise, but it's a five minute gratitude practice or 11 minutes of breath work is really all it takes to like for emotional regulation, tuning up or 20 to 40 minutes of exercise. So I always tell people under normal conditions, if you're not stressed, do one. If you stress, do two. If you're super stressed, do three, right? Um, you need seven to eight hours of sleep a night. It's not a negotiable. If you're interested in peak performance, flow is a high energy state. You need to be well-rested to make it reliable and repeatable, you know, that those kinds of things. There's a bunch of those things. We know what those things are, even hydration, nutrition, right? They matter. Like, is everybody different? Yes. Your hydration, nutrition requirements are going to be different than mine. There is no one diet, right? There's no, no. there's nothing. Um, we're all, that's a personality thing, right? That's our, that's our evolution, our genetics, our hardwire. That's a, it's very individual. Um, nothing works for everyone. Um, as much as the paleo people want to believe otherwise. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, that, yeah, no. <laughs> I like the paleo people, but like, I'm sorry, no, it's not. That I mean, yeah, guys. just labeling diets is funny to me. I mean, I yeah, probably I feel live weird. in that I, category. I yeah, but, but any, I mean, no, so I think, yeah. You know, there's that, there's that, those, there are those sorts of things. Um, But what's crazy about all of it is, I always say that the truth of the matter is peak performance is a checklist, right? It literally is. It's a checklist. As I, six or seven things going today, tomorrow. the thing that's difficult about it is it's 
it's a daily practice because peak performance always works like compound interest, right? It's a little bit today, it's a little bit tomorrow, it's a little bit the next day. Every day and the real results, the really crazy results, they're delayed. They're six months in, a year in, but it's comp, it's exponential. So like it just starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger, but you have to put in the time to get to get to those those points. But you know, I've I spent my entire career studying people who have accomplished the impossible in every demand imaginable, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I've met probably more extraordinary people than anybody alive because it was my beat as a as a journalist for thirty. Right, it's, I went out of my way to do this, and um, I always say that like everybody I met, nobody I met started out extraordinary. They just started out like you and me. They just did this. They followed the checklist day after day for years on end, and that's how they got to extraordinary. And the checklist is no different because the biology is no different. I always say when people read the art of impossible, if you're a if you're top thirty percent, twenty percent, ten percent in your field in anything, most of the stuff in this book or a lot of the stuff is going to be familiar, right? We heard about all these bits and like maybe we don't quite know there are six different levels of grit and three levels of goal setting and but we've heard about grit and we've heard about goal setting, we've heard about intrinsic motivation, we've heard about learning and flow, right? What is new, what the neuroscience has taught us over the past five years is, hey, wait a minute, it's a system, it's an order. If you get it, you know, the way the system is designed to work, it's just going to, you just get farther, faster. It'll be easier, Um, ish, easier ish, right? (laughs) That's right. Because you're always pushing and stressing. I don't think it's easy. I've never thought it was easy. (laughs) Well, in a way, I think you're the the discipline that it takes almost becomes a non-discipline at the, you know, because I think that that's where people trip up a lot of times or don't even enter the arena because it's not this magic pill, shiny object. You're going to low hanging, like I can just get it now. No, it's like you said, there's compounding interest. And that means it's, it's what I call the magic pill, which is consistency, you gotta, you gotta dig every day. You gotta keep yeah, I mean, it, the, yeah. it's, and it's funny because you have to, one of the hardest lessons to learn, I think is hard work works. Yeah. But it's right. Hard work works. It's a really hard lesson to learn because it doesn't, you know, it, it's like learning a skill. The learning process for this is always the same. It's I suck, I suck, I suck, I suck, I suck. Oh, look, I don't suck anymore, right? <laughs> Learning is an unconscious process, right? Like literally that's it's the same for everybody. In fact, uh, my friend, Andrew Huberman, who teaches at Stanford and we, we work with his One lab of my favorite. a little bit. Yeah. So yes. Andrew, I don't know, who, we don't know who said this originally, but he likes to point out, he's like, look, the thing that elite performers tend to know that everybody else doesn't, is that it's always crawl, walk, run. No matter who you are, it's always crawl, walk, run. And the problem with most people is they come into situations and they're like, dude, I don't crawl. In fact, I don't even want to walk. Let me like figure out where, where's the shortcut so I can start at a jog, right? Like how do I, I'll start, I, I, I'm a jogging kind of guy, right? And that's, so that's a lot of us. And the difference with a lot of peak performers is people, it's funny, they look at top performers and one of the questions that, you know, you hear a lot is now that they get so far so fast. And the answer is really funny. Most of us, when a challenge shows up, 
we will literally go pretty far out of our way to avoid the challenge or figure out how do I start at a run basically. And peak performers just go, okay, I'm going to, it's, it's crawl, walk, run. I'm just going to, I'm going to suck. It's going to be, I suck, I suck, I suck, I suck, I suck. Oh, look at, right. That's the experience. And they just don't care. Right. They just, right. That, that, they that, just don't. It's yes. It's going to suck. It's going to be terrible. It's terrible for everybody. Nobody likes it. Yes. Um, but like Embrace that's the, the process and you love, I always like to ask myself questions. I always, when I think about the future, I always ask myself ridiculous questions like five years from now, if I could do X, how would my life be different? And if I like the answer of how my life will be different, then I do X. I always say that like, I would like to, th- I work the way I think about it. I work for the boss. The boss is the version of me who makes the to-do list the night before, it's not the version of me that gets up and has to do the shit, right? The guy who makes the to-do list, the boss, he's got my best long-term interests at heart. Like oh, in the moment, <laughs> I am just like everybody else, right? I want the <laughs> easy solution. I'm a hedonist. I don't want to work that. Uh, like I'm a homeostatic organism and the energy output is going to write same thing. So I just know I'm like, that's why I work for the boss. Like I don't have a choice in the moment I work for, no, I just do it on my list. That's so badass. I feel that so hardcore. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I just take, I take the me out of the equation because like left to my own devices. (laughs) I'm just saying. I just saw you skiing like up a fucking mountain, like ditching. Oh my goodness. That's so good. You are so amazing. Okay. I have some, um, I have rapid fire words and I have one question that I'd love to ask my guests before I even do that. Is there anything in this epic conversation that I'm so grateful to be having with you that we haven't touched on, or maybe something that, you know, you wish people would ask you more on anything of that sort, um, that you'd like to insert into this conversation, no pressure, no worries. If not, we've covered a lot. No, I mean, I like the, the only thing I, I want to say, I said a little bit earlier, but if 30 years of studying peak human performance has taught me anything, it's we're all capable of so much more than we know, but human potential is invisible, especially to ourselves. Right. And that's the thing. The only way we get to find out what we're capable of is by pushing in our skills to the utmost again and again and again and again, that is how you, you got to solve that puzzle. So I think that's kind of, that's the, yeah, if I had any final point, that would be it. Yeah, no, it's so, it's so good. It's so valued. I have this sort of creed in my brand and really just like as a creator, it's seek the fight. And it's, it's saying like, you don't just wait for challenge. Like you go towards the fights, the battles that are standing guard at your growth, at your ideals, your, your mission, your vision. Um, so I'm a huge advocate for that. And I feel like it, it really, you know, works with what you just shared. So thank you so much. So sure. um, my question that I like to ask all my guests is um, if you had a magic wand and you could give the masses one habit that would have a large positive ripple effect in their life, what would it be and why? Um, so this is a funny answer, but uh we have what people talk about as our uh, primary flow activities. Those are the things that we tend to do since being little kids that drop. For me, it's skiing, right? Every time I go skiing, 90% chance I'm going to be in flow. For my wife, it's hiking with the dogs in the back country. Some people it's gardening or chess or giving speeches or canoeing or take your pick. And as we become adults, that tends to be the thing that we put away 
right? We put away childish things. We, we stop doing those things. And it's actually a disaster. And the reason it's a disaster is three reasons. One, flow is a focusing skill. It's a focusing, it's like sort of like mindfulness is a focusing skill, different, but similar. So the, if I go skiing on Monday, I'm training my brain how to drop into flow. It helps me when I go to work on Tuesday and need to get into flow while riding. So there's transference. Second of all, as we move into flow, uh, there's one of the things that happens is stress hormones are get pushed out of our system. The nervous system resets. So this is hugely important, especially in the modern world where so many of us are stressed out or anxious or a little hypervigilant. Flow automatically resets the nervous system. In fact, the neurochemicals that show up in flow tend to also boost the immune system. So there's, there's an actual downstream health benefit here too. But for all those reasons, like you don't, when in times of stress, which is the exact time that people stop reaching for their primary flow trigger, oh, I'm super busy. I, this is the exact time you want to sort of double down on that. And uh, so that, uh, that, that it's, it's a less than, it's do the thing that you most love doing, but it's hard to hear that advice. I think for a lot of us, right, my, uh, myself included, it took me a really long time to start. I would say people who are really great at this. They put flow at the dead center of their life and they put their primary flow activity sort of at the dead center of their lives. But it's hard to give yourself permission to do that until you start to see the benefits, right? Once you start doing it, you're like, oh, my God, I'm so much more motivated. I'm so much more focused. I feel so much better, so much more alive, uh, all that stuff. Then you start under, you're like, oh, okay, now I get this. But as we move into adulthood, we tend to forget about that. So, so, so epic. Um, I love it. Okay. I'm going to rapid fire words at you. Are you okay with that? Do we have enough? Do we have two more minutes? Just throw sure. some words. I'm just, I'm so fucking curious to what, cause this is what I do with all my guests. Um, what your, your responses are ready. Here we go. Love. Yeah, I don't know what that word means. <laughs> Does it mean- <laughs> Next? You know, okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, no, let me fucking say this. Every single conversation I've ever listened to you having and reading your books, it's like, I feel so much love and passion and all like you've been doing this shit for so long, like the subject, everything. And it's like, I feel like it's just still brand new in you. So I'm giving you that. I don't know. That's my experience of love. with you. <laughs> Take it. It's fucking real. I only speak the truth. Okay. Next is fear. Oh, my best friend. <laughs> yeah. I mean, peak performers use fear as a compass, right? Like, why? What do you it give us focus for free, right? So if it scares you, you can't stop paying attention to it. So like you learn to use fear as a motivator and, and you know, as much as anybody else, everything you really want in this world, it's on the exact opposite side of the stuff that scares you to death. So um, it's the easiest. Like I always say that this is the coolest thing in the world because you actually come with an instruction manual. You, you, I like it's the weirdest thing in the world, but like the question we are always facing is which way should I, which way do I go next? And I always say, just find the thing that scares you most and go in that direction. Ah, so good. <laughs> I feel that. So good. Okay. Uh, Unless, of course, challenge. what scares you most is genocide and nuclear war. <laughs> you know, right. 
there right, are limits, right. people. There are, okay, like, let's just talk about that for a second. It's right here. Oh my but God. But Stephen told me. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine? And today I can actually. Um, <laughs> well, curiosity is a word that I always do in my rapid fire, and I feel like we've talked about it a lot. Um, I mean, <laughs> We can move on to the next one. We're why do we do the that? Podcast. Yeah, why do we do that? Courage. Well, dopamine, if you want a, a short answer, because it's it's sort of true. Um, I just, you know, I think this was in the movie Three Kings, but I Spike Jones's character says, you know, Sonia George Clinic character, he's like, how come you gotta do this? thing that you're scared of to get the courage that's a lousy system how come you can't have it ahead of time <laughs> and right right fear a fair point it's, it's yeah. a fair point i um courage is a really interesting one for me um in that i'm an unbelievably courageous person and I've done all kinds of things to prove that to myself again and again and again and again and again and again and the craziest thing about it is I keep having to prove it to myself like it's an odd thing about courage right like some of these things like public speaking I'm good at public speaking I don't have to prove that to myself I'm like if I'm gonna have that for the rest of my life right but courage I feel like I have to earn that again and again and again on a daily basis. And that's interesting. I don't, that, so, you know, a courage is an interesting one for me because um, I've spent so much of my life sort of chasing after it one way or another and sort of reproving it to myself. This is kind of early childhood scarring that I can't get past or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no. Well, I think it's great though. I mean, you want to keep increasing your courage, right? I mean, you're always yeah, I just, going for I always, it. You know, I always say that the, the worst thing about ski season is you go into the season with like a line that's I'm going to ski all these big lines this year and I'm going to prove myself. But, and even if you ski, like I did this this year, I skied 20 lines I had on a line list. I never thought I was going to get through the whole thing in a season. And I did. And now well, those aren't the big lines. The big lines are the ones I haven't skied yet. Though, no, exactly. I was wrong, right? Like, that's exactly, that's the yeah, problem that's what I'm saying. Like, once so, you like, cross that off your list, it doesn't you, matter how, you're like, fucking reading yeah, the bigger Courage thing. is not, like, so. courage isn't the thing I needed to do, the thing I already did. It's the thing I, I need to do, the thing that I haven't yet done. There's two other words. I just want you to know, passion is one. I'm going to fast forward on that. Um, Please, but thank I, you. I, yeah, challenge is another, fast forwarding on that. Excellence, I would love to know what excellence comes you know top of mind top of heart when you yeah, hear that word so mike gervais likes to ask people at the end of his podcast what what people what do you mean by mastery because his podcast is finding mastery and i'm going to give you roughly the same answer i've given him because I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it in my opinion what i mean by mastery or excellence is um i'm gonna have to explain this but i mean 360 degree creativity i have true excellence at something when i can go in any direction I need to go and be great, right? If I'm writing and this words demand that I go left and you know down a hill and through the brook and through the dale, right? Then I better be great. Like that's I want the 360 degree creativity. I want to be to be 
be at my creative best in any direction. So when I think about excellence or mastery, that's what I think about. I think about 360 degree creativity. That's so, I mean, listen, microphone fucking drop. You are the man. I am so, so grateful for every minute. Thank you for going over a little bit with me. Thank you for writing this book and and everything that you do. I am so grateful to be connected. Please guide our listeners, our viewers on, you know, where they can learn more about you, um, all the things that you're putting out in the world. Where do they go? Uh, Flowresearchcollective.com. If you want to know more about the work we do. Um, there's tons of free flow information up there too. Um, uh, stephencotler.com is me, all my books, etc. Other things. I'm the lousiest marketer for myself, but, uh, okay, let me, let me, let me share this actually. And this is, again, it's so true. I really want people to go sign up for your newsletter. Your emails are fucking incredible. They yeah. We give. work really hard at it. I They're appreciate awesome. that. Yeah, I because yeah. I won't. It's um, it's just I figure I always tell my, my everybody who works with me that like our job is to like blow minds and make you laugh. So we want right like the goal is to like we want to crack you up and then we want to teach you something that's very practical, but that you probably didn't know. And so we try. We work really hard, and um, which is which is I'm glad people notice. So yeah, props to your team. Flow Research yeah. Collective or stephencollar.com. Either way, you can sign up for my email newsletter. Perfect. It's all in the show notes. Steven, Thanks, thank Roxanne. you so much again with all yeah. my heart. Take care. Have a good day. Okay, bye. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode, you guys. If you loved it, please share it on your social. Throw it up on your Instagram stories and tag me. I'm at Black Belt Beauty. I am also at Roxy Look. R-O-X-Y-L-O-O-K. I love connecting with you guys. This is a conversation that I want to just continue growing with you guys. So if you feel inspired to hit me up, do so in that space. I always enjoy hearing from you. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so by rating it and reviewing it via iTunes. It's such supportive help, you guys. It really helps the visibility of this podcast. So I appreciate and thank you in advance for doing that. And last but not least, if you are interested in starting your own podcast, or perhaps you already have one and you need help with, you know, editing your audio and the production of it, I cannot recommend my producers enough. Resonate recordings, you guys, they are the bomb. I rely on them. They are an absolute supportive tool to me and my podcast. So check them out and let them know that Black Belt Beauty sent you. And on that note, you guys, I'm signing off with all my love and always looking forward to catching you on the next.